Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, the podcast where we explore the origins and development of the DC multiverse and the legacy of Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Today we are looking at a story from issue 160 of House of Mystery, which was published on May the 19th. 1966 with a cover date of July 1966 and we're reading a story from the the headline feature Dial H for Hero yay it's yay hooray it's not too long established at this point only started in issue um, 156 of, of House of Mystery which went on sale in November 65 so it's only been going for about six months Pete, say, it's probably best if you explain the concept behind Dial H for Hero before I sort of tell the, the listeners why we're doing this particular story. Sure. Dial H for Hero is one of my favourite bits of Silver Age DC nonsense. It really is. It's all about a boy called Robbie Reeds who lives in this small town who comes across this dial, this object. Is it magical? Is it scientific? Mm-hmm. That has got ten symbols on it and he basically, he's a bit of a genius and he translates what the symbols all mean and they translate into letters and it is actually like a rotary dial you Mm -hmm. know you used to get in the phone in the olden days yes oh yes (laughs) and he realized that they translated into letters and he dialed h-e-r-o and when he dialed h-e-r-o he turned into a superhero but it was a random superhero it wasn't an existing superhero at least he didn't think it was yeah but yeah, he would turn into a different superhero each time. And to change back, he would dial O-R-E-H. Mm-hmm. There we are. It's very cool. It's a really fun conceit. Yes. Because basically, it was a way for writers just to throw anything in there. It's just a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I used to have practically a full run of the House of Mystery Dialects for Heroes. And as I've said many times <laughs> other titles, I don't have them now. And I kick myself. But such is life. Now, the reason we're doing the story from issue 160... If you listen to our MF Enterprises Captain Marvel episode recently, we talked about Plastic Man briefly. And this issue of House of Mystery, Robbie Dales is h style, And for the first time, he becomes a superhero which has a, an earlier publication history. In this story, Robbie becomes Plastic Man. Yay! Yeah. It's a bit of a twist in our usual chat about legacy. It's the reintroduction of a classic Golden Age superhero with a twist. A twist of the h style, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the rumour is basically DC, once they heard about Plastic Man being published by MF, they quickly threw this story out in order to just secure the copyright on the character and make sure the trademark was still theirs. Uh, as long as this character was still in use, then, you know, no one else could really claim the, the title. If only they'd done that with uh, Captain Marvel. But hey, never mind. <laughs> oh, you can't imagine. Imagine that. Another another yeah. story. Another story. PC, tell us about the cover of issue 160 of House of Mystery. The cover of issue 160 is a gem. We have the fantastic Google checks at the top because mm-hmm. we're right in that sweet spot <laughs> of Silver Age silliness for DC, which I adore. Yep. And in the top left corner, we've got House of Mystery in quite small green letters. And then you've got the big Dial H for Hero logo, mm-hmm. which is basically the dial with Dial H4 right in the, the middle in, uh, in yellow against red. And the words Hero spelled out in the spaces on the dial. And then, front and centre, we've got Robbie Reed holding the dial, mm-hmm. but there's four sections all around him. Yeah, the cover sort of split into segments, yeah. Yes, and at the top of it, it says, New, the most original character in comic history, Robbie Reed, the boy who can change into a thousand superheroes. Sock him a G, which is Robbie Reed's catchphrase. Sock him a G. 
Dial in for blazing action against a dazzling villain, the Wizard of Light. And then it gives you a taster of the heroes he's going to turn into mm. in this story. Mm-hmm. We have a new old hero, which is Plastic Man. Mm-hmm. An old new hero, which is Giant Boy, who was the first superhero Robbie turned into ah, when he first died. That's very interesting. And finally, a new new hero, King Candy, spelt with two Ks. King Candy, yeah. yes. Uh-huh. And so Plastic Man, we kind of know what Plastic Man's like. He is the character with the goggles and the red suit with the, the yellow belt. And yeah, Plastic Man's quite iconic. I think most people kind of know what he looks like. When did you first encounter Plastic Man? Do you remember? Plastic Man in the Night the Mob Stole Christmas, a Brave and Bold uh, team-up issue. Right. That's my first Plastic Man experience. I know the one you mean. It's around about 150, isn't it? Yeah. I think I first encountered Plastic Man when his short-lived animated cartoon series was shown in Britain in the late 70s or the early 80s. Yes. I'm uh-huh. not even sure the first time I saw him in a comic, but I, I have a feeling it might have been around then. Mm-hmm. I know he popped up in Super Friends at least once or twice. It might have been around then. The, yeah, first time I met him was, wasn't actually in a comic. So that's Plastic Man. Giant Boy is, funnily enough, a giant boy yeah. clad in yellow. And then we have King Candy, who is basically wearing a candy-striped red and white outfit with a, a crown with lollipops on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has, like, sweet eight gems all around his body, mm-hmm. and he has a licorice lariat. And he's chasing after the Wizard of Light whilst he's uh, spinning his lariat, saying... Wait till you get a taste of my licorice lariat. <laughs> yes. Outstanding. And unlike David, I've got every single issue yeah. of the Dial H for Hero mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> run. Because I, I adored the character and I adored the concept of Dial H for Hero. And I think I've got pretty much every appearance of the Dial H character mm-hmm. and characters because there are legacy characters coming out of this. Mm-hmm. I've got pretty much all the appearances because I adore the concept. It's just so good when done well. It's a great fun concept. I mean, you can imagine it really yeah. appealing to, to children and just sort of, you know, grabbing the dial, dialing the letters and just and seeing what happens. Yes. Shall we jump into the story? Oh, I'd love to. So we have an opening splash page. There's a man in a green suit who, who kind of reminds me of Clark Kent for some reason, who seems to be running off away from everything else that's happening. And in this panel, we see a woman and a dog and a US mailbox and a car and a couple of other people, including a man with his attache case, all floating up in the air. We see Plastic Man floating up in the air, stretching down with his giant hands to grab a couple of bad guys, one of whom is obviously the Wizard of Light. So this is obviously a reference to what's going to happen at some point later in the story. So we have an opening caption that says, Robbie Reed's Amazing Age style transforms him into an old new hero, a new new hero, and a new old hero. And the boy genius must cleverly utilise each of their incredible powers if there was to be any chance of defeating the fantastic and fearsome menaces of... The the Wizard Wizard of of Light. Light. Yes. And Plastic Man, as he's floating in the air, reaching down and slapping these bad guys together, is thinking... My body's trapped in the anti-gravity light field, but I can stretch my plastic arms enough to put the clamp on the gang. Tremendous. So, over the page to page two, and the first caption says... As Gramps and housekeeper Miss Millie drop Robbie Reed off at the Littleville bus station... Now we see Robbie's Gramps, he's just an elderly gentleman, bit of a comb over, glasses, receding grey hair... And Miss Millie, the housekeeper, is a fetching yellow outfit with a matching hat. Robbie's in the background getting onto a green bus, which is the number 502. That won't be significant. And anyway, Gramps is saying, Have a Jim Dandy weekend at your cousin's house, lad. But don't go wandering off on one of your explorations. 
And Robbie says, Oh, Ned and I are just going to do a little rock hunting and take in the fair, Gramps. Don't worry. In panel two, as the bus pulls off, Miss Millie says, Oh dear, I hope you remember to pack everything you'll need, Robbie. Robbie replies, I sure did, Miss Millie. And he thinks, Even my H-style. No telling when I'll have to go into action again as a superhero. Slow dissolve, the caption for the next panel says, Later that day in the playroom of his cousin's house. This panel shows Robbie's cousin Ned in the process of fastening some pin-ups of presumably some of the superheroes that Robbie has been turning into using his H-style. So Ned is pinning up pictures of Hypno-Man, who wears a sort of red jacket and has a sort of spiral yellow design on his top, and has a weird mask which seems to suggest he has three eyes. I'm sure this means everything to Peter. Yes. Ned is fastening up Mighty Moppet, who looks like a small ginger-haired child dressed in red and green. <laughs> you can see a picture of Giant Boy, as Pete described from the cover. He's wearing a yellow superhero outfit with blue detailing, blue gloves and a blue belt. And in the corner we can see what appears to be Quake Master. As Ned is doing all this, he is saying, We'll leave in a minute, Robbie. I just want to add this new pin-up to my superhero collection. It's the latest fad. Robbie is thinking, Sucker Magee, would Ned flip if he knew I was all those superheroes? And Robbie appears to be addressing the audience, actually, because he looks like he's staring straight at the panel, at the, at the reader at this point. <laughs> so now at the bottom of page two, and their friend Susie has arrived. And Susie bursts into the room saying, Hi, Ned. Hi, Robbie. I just dropped around to see if you had an extra pin-up of Mighty Moppet. Ned says, Uh, hi, Susie. And Robbie's thinking, I was hoping I'd get to see her again. Oh, aye. Robbie, you're a devil. Susie continues. She's looking at the Mighty Moppet picture on the wall. He's awfully cute, but I have no special favourites like some others. I love all these superheroes. Robbie's thinking, I wish you'd look at me that way. I think Robbie's got a crush on Susie. Oh, he does. See, tell me this, Pete. Say, back in the, the Silver Age, are there any other interactions between Robbie Reed as Dial H for Hero and any other DC characters? Not in the Silver Age, no. Okay. He does turn up in continuity later on, but Silver Age stories are pretty much standalone. Okay. So... Okay, that's just one thing I was wondering because we've talked a little bit before about how it seems sometimes like certain series just exist in their own continuity. So I was just sort of wondering because the the kids are obviously impressed with these particular superheroes, but we don't obviously see any sign of Batman or, or Superman or anything. So okay, yeah. anyway, not to worry. Because these are the local superheroes for local people. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there'll be no trouble here. So in the final panel of page two, Ned is saying, obviously in response to what Susie was saying about the Mighty Moppet picture, I'll get one later for you, Susie. Come on, Robbie, we have no time for girls now. We've got some rock hunting to do. Robbie says, uh, We're taking in the fair tomorrow, Susie. If you're free, I'd like you to come along. And Susie says, Okay, that's a date. Smooth, Robbie, smooth. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a hint of a, a love triangle here? I'm not sure. Top of page three, the first caption says, Shortly in Rocky Hill country. We see Robbie and Ned, backpacks on, out for a hike. And Robbie says, We checked the strata of this wall the last time, Ned. Let's split up and find a new location. Ned says, Okay, give me a holler if you can't anything. We then have an inset panel of Robbie and the caption, Minutes later. And there's a rumbling karoom sound effect in the background. Robbie thinks, What in thunder was that? And in the next panel, much larger panel, we see Robbie from his vantage point up in the rocks and the cliffs. He's looking down over farm country and something has gone wrong. And he's thinking, Sokka Magee, a dam break and a tidal wave of water is sweeping straight for that farming community. The area doesn't have a chance unless... To the right of the panel, we can see the water breaking and starting to rush down towards the farmland. And the caption for the next panel says... Like a flash, Robbie's hand snaps out the secreted H-dial in his pocket and his finger swings into action. 
A very dynamic shot of Robbie with the H dial, and he's thinking, Got to dial into a superhero, and fast. H-E-R-O. Terrific. In the caption for the next panel. And upon dialing the decoded cryptic letters of the strange dial. There's a flash of energy, and suddenly we see Giant Boy standing there. And Giant Boy is thinking, Huh? I've become Giant Boy again. Sokka Magee, this is a real break. I can sure put his amazing powers to good use in this situation. Now this is the point, I have to actually quickly sort of say, what I really feel I need in my life at this point is a team-up between Giant Boy and Colossal Boy of the Legion of Superheroes. That would be great. <laughs> when Pete and I write our comic for DC, this is what will happen. Anyway, <laughs> to the top of page four and the caption says, Quickly, Giant Boy surveys the area. And in an inset panel, we see Giant Boy rushing forward and he's thinking, Not a chance of evacuating all those folks in time. And besides, their farmhouses would still be swept away by the flood. But I remember a quarry nearby. And then the caption for the next panel. Calling upon all his super speed, the youth soars through the air until seconds later. And this panel shows Giant Boy arriving at the quarry. He's managed to find it, and as he's landing, he thinks, Ah, those chunks of granite are still here. Well, here goes. And then the caption for the next panel. Giant Boy swings into action like some fantastic juggler hurling dumbbells. And this is an excellent panel of Giant Boy grabbing the big chunks of granite, very, very helpfully, very square um, cuboids in, in shape. He's hurling them into the air in the direction of the dam, and he's thinking, Gosh, my aim's got to be perfect to pull off this plan. And then we cut to a wider shot for the next panel. Which is a caption saying, The stream of granite rock arches through the sky, where, seconds later... We're standing, basically, with some farmers. This is really, really impressive. Quite a widespread in this panel. We can see the farmland in the front. We can see the rushing water at the back. And Giant Boy has hurled these chunks of granite, and they're forming a perfect wall, which the water is being diverted by. I've got to say, I'm very impressed. So not only can he fly, not only is he very strong, but his aim and wall-building skills are off the charts, obviously. Yes, yes, he's an expert at tossing these rocks. What a tosser. Yes. <laughs> I do like the giant G with the B inside yes. on, his, on his chest. It's quite it's quite cute, it's funny. <laughs> and there's a couple of farmers who are standing watching all this taking place, and one of them is saying, Look, great chunks of stone forming a dam before our homes. And the second one says, I see it, but I don't believe it. How is it possible? To the top of page five, and the first caption says, An instant later, the farmer's answer is seen in the sky. Ah, uh, yes, cool. We see Giant Boy flying towards where the farmers are, and the first farmer says, Well, mow me down. T'was Giant Boy that did it. He saved us all. Thanks, Giant Boy. And Giant Boy says, Glad to be of service. God bless you, Giant Boy. Right, the next panel was a close-up of Giant Boy reacting because there's a giant boom sound effect. And Giant Boy says, What's that? In the next panel, we see him still flying, and he's flying down towards a house with some cars outside, and he's thinking, An explosion from that private lab over there. Better look into this. I may be able to help. We should probably point out at this point, it's one of these sort of very stylish, sort of mid-60s buildings, quite like the one we saw in Showcase Issue 60, actually. They're very of its time, sort of one level with lots of windows, and it's very close to, to what looks like a cliff edge, it must be said. So... We have a caption for our next panel, and it says, Seconds later, Giant Boy is coming down to land, and there are a couple of police officers standing outside this building that smoke is billowing from, and the policeman says, Giant Boy, I'm afraid even you won't be able to help Dr. Drago. It's too late. Giant Boy says, Never say die. Brief me, officer. That cloud of gas from the explosion has Dr. Drago trapped inside. 
and our detectors indicate those fumes are poisonous, Giant Boy says. Maybe he hasn't breathed in enough of the gas yet. No time to waste. And the policeman points out Dr. Drago, who's down on the floor of the building, with the clouds of pink smoke billowing all around him. So, at this point, almost from the back, Giant Boy looks a bit like Captain Marvel, the Shazam Captain Marvel, but with a headband yes, and, his, and his jacket coloured yellow. Anyway, mm. so the, the caption for the next panel at the bottom of page five says... With a jet-like lunge, the gigantic youth springs forward. Giant Boy's thinking as he does so. Perhaps my super lungs will be immune to the poison. They'd better be. No time to figure out another rescue plan. And the policeman shouts after him. Giant Boy, you're signing your old death warrant. Stop! We move to the top of page six. The caption says, But the policeman's warning falls on deaf ears. We see Giant Boy moving through the cloud of pink smoke, picking up Dr. Drago. And he says, Hang on, Doc. We're going out of here the back way, under full power. Dr. Drago moans, Oh. And with a crash in the next panel, we see giant boy Dr. Drago bursting through another wall of the house. Then the caption for the next panel says, Ten seconds later. And we see Dr. Drago being supported by two policemen, one of whom says, The doctor seems to be okay, thanks to giant boy. And the second policeman says, Hey, look! Because then in the next panel... We see Giant Boy running away from the site. We can see the clouds of smoke all around. But he's clutching his throat and he's a hand up to his face. And he's saying, Can't breathe. The gas. Tearing my lungs apart. And one of the policemen says, Giant Boy, he's been overcome by those deadly gas fumes. And he's about to stumble over the cliff. Giant Boy, look out. The edge of the cliff, you're... And another voice says, Too late. And then Giant Boy pitches right over the edge of the cliff, gasping as he falls. Page 7, the caption at the first panel says, Down, down, plummets the overcome giant boy into the raging river below, where... And we see giant boy with his head and his hands above the surface of the river. He looks in great pain. Two of the policemen are looking down at him. One of them says, There he is, being swept along in the currents. And the second one says, I, I think giant boy's about to go under. And in the caption for the next panel, A shocking moment later, the inevitable happens. Oh no. And we see Giant Boy now under the surface of the water, sinking, and he's thinking, Can't breathe. Haven't the strength to swim. I think I'm dying. Got to do something fast. But what? Of course. And in the caption for the next panel, Quickly, the desperate Giant Boy's hand falls to a secret belt compartment, and... And we see that Giant Boy has managed to dig out the H-dial, and he's thinking, Got to H-dial back to myself. Robbie Reed, before I die, as Giant Boy. But, but, is there enough time? Have I enough strength left? Got to try, or this will be the end of Robbie Reed and the superheroes. Bum, bum, bum. We're now at the top of page eight, and we have a caption that says, Part two, the Wizard of Light. Giant Boy is still struggling underwater. The opening caption says, In a frantic race against time, Giant Boy's feeble finger finds the H-dial slot, and the battle for life begins. Giant Boy is thinking, Got to dial hero in reverse to become Robbie Reed again. O-R-E-H. I did it, and just in time. And he's suddenly back to being Robbie. Fantastic. And the next panel shows Robbie breaking the surface of the water thinking, that was a squeaker. Suck him a gee. If I ever become Giant Boy again, I won't know what to expect. Will I be normal or under the deadly influence of that gas? The next panel shows Robbie swimming to the side of the river, and he's thinking, no time to think of that now. Got to dry these clothes and get back to Cousin Ned's before they start worrying about me. 
Before we continue, is that the last time we see Giant Boy that you're aware of? Yes. Yeah. I believe so. I don't recall seeing him again. Oh, that's a shame. That's quite dark, isn't it? <laughs> it does bring up some interesting things that they do play into in later series. Right. Uh, that uh, involves the, the Vile H characters. Yeah. But we'll get to that later on. We'll, we'll get to that, listeners, don't you worry. So, the final caption for the final panel, page 8, says... Shortly. And Robbie's arriving home. Um, Ned is watching television. Robbie says... Hi, Ned. Gosh, I got lost and... Shh! Whether you hear what's happened, Robbie, pull up a chair. So the first panel of page nine shows the TV screen that Robbie and Ned are watching. And it shows a policeman, Dr. Drago, and a policeman is saying, Yes, there was no doubt about it. We all saw a giant boy go under for the last time. Even if he survived the river, those gas fumes would have finished him for sure. Dr. Drago is saying, I was lucky. I owe my life to giant boy. And I will always be indebted to him. Thank you. The next panel, Ned is very upset. He's pointing at his giant boy poster on the wall. And he's saying, one of the greatest of the superheroes, dead. Gosh, I feel rotten. Robbie puts a comforting arm around his shoulder and is thinking, This is like attending my own funeral. Then Robbie says to Ned in the next panel, Snap out of it, Ned. We'll have a good time at the fair tomorrow, and I promised Susie I'd take her along, remember? That's a shame. Poor Ned, he's gutted. I'd be gutted. (laughs) Robbie could be, you know, showing a little bit more commiseration. I don't know, anyway. We have a slow dissolve in the, the next caption that says... Next day! So, we see Robbie and Ned and Susie having a great time at the fair, at the carnival. And it looks like they're walking past uh, a carousel. And Susie remarks, This is fun, Robbie. I'm glad you asked me to go with you. Now I'd like to see that famous Shah necklace that's on display. And there seems to be a sort of burst of energy going on. And a giant poof sound effect. And then Ned, obviously reacting to the poof and the burst of energy, says... Huh, what's that? And then the caption for the next panel... Suddenly... And this horrible monster has appeared. He's enormous, towering over all the people. He's bright orange, very demonic looking. There's sort of two fingers and a thumb on each hand. He has cloven feet. He has a tail with a point and he has horns in his face, a large mouth, sharp teeth, blaming eyes. He's utterly hideous. And Ned remarks, Look, look at that thing. A monster of some kind, right on the grounds. Wow, a real scary show, huh? And then the monster starts rushing towards a guard at the fair. Has pulled his gun, is firing the monster. And Robbie says, This is no show, Ned. The guard's blasting away at that demon. The next panel, it's all kicking off because another monster has appeared. This is a giant blue creature with massive teeth and looks sort of like tendrils and tentacles all around it. Another guard is there and he's also finding it this one. Now, Ned proclaims, Jeepers, another frightening creature. What's happening? Let's get out of here. And Robbie's rushing off the other direction thinking, Something real crazy going on. I've got to check it out as a superhero. Robbie ducks behind a small tent and he's thinking, Here goes, and I hope I dial into a superhero with powers to tangle these fantastic demons. H-E-R-O. In the next panel, the burst of energy, Robbie is transformed once again and he thinks, Ah, a peppermint stick costume. Sakamajee, I'm a candy superhero, King Candy. So as Peter described from the from the cover, it's red and striped suit with sort of sweets stuck all over the white stripes and his little crown, which is lollipops, sticking out the top. And the final panel then of page 10 shows King Candy leaping into action because he can hear a scream and he's thinking, I've got to use candy weapons against those zany demons and hope they click. The top of page 11 now and the first caption says, King Candy swiftly snatches a bizarre weapon from his unique uniform and... You see the orange cloven-hooved demon to the left of the picture and the blue one that just arrived on the previous page. Look at this oh, horrible grinning face. King Candy hurls something forward thinking, Hey, lollipop bomb is just enough explosive punch to knock these creatures out. Here goes. 
Then the caption for the next panel. But then, to his amazement... Yeah, the lollipop bomb, which he throws in the previous panel, seems to go straight through the big blue tooth demon and with a boom explodes on the ground behind him. And King Candy thinks... Sokka-Majee! The bomb plummeted right through its body to explode on the ground. Something real fishy here. Yeah. Then the next panel, the king thinks... Of course, these creatures don't really exist. They are a figment of my imagination. Everyone's imagination. Hmm. That gang over there, they somehow created illusions to screen their rubbery. And we see... Three men emerging from a doorway. One of them looks to be the guy in the green suit that I compared to Clark Kent in the splash panel. <laughs> and there's another chap just in front of him wearing black boots, blue leggings with sort of orange starbursts over them, a sort of black and purple pattern jacket, almost like a kind of star effect. And he's wearing a, an orange and black wizard's hat. And I wonder if that's the aforementioned Wizard of Light. Anyway, these are the guys that King Candy has clocked. And in the next panel, we can still see some people rushing away from the demons. The big blue demon is lurching into the frame, but King Candy has an idea, and he says, Listen, folks, these demons are harmless. Fantastic light illusions. Don't be afraid. And he thinks, They've snatched the Shah necklace. My first move is to recover it with one of my candy gimmicks. Yeah, we can see that the Wizard of Light has what looks like an orange box in his hand, but actually it's obviously the display case for this famous Shah necklace. So, the caption for the next panel... On the run, King Candy goes into cowboy action, twirling a bizarre lariat. And... And he's successful, because he thinks... My licorice lasso did the trick. I've got what they came for. The pearl necklace. Yes, we love a pearl necklace, and we see that the licorice lasso has, of course, snared it and pulled it right out of the hand of the Wizard of Light, who looks appalled... One of the Wizard of Light's associates has opened the door to the car they were making for, and he's saying, That candy carrot has put the whammy on this job. Let's take off, or we won't be pulling that other job this afternoon. That was clever. Anyway, saying that. So we moved now to the top of page 12, <laughs> and the caption says, But a moment later, as the getaway car is about to spurt forward, and we see the view from inside the car, and with a couple of splat sound effects, some brightly coloured splodges have landed on the windscreen, and the guy in the driver's seat, Who's the guy that we compare to Clark Kent? We can see now he's wearing sort of goggles that look very much like Plastic Man's goggles. Mm, very similar, yeah. And uh, the guy the guy in the green suit who we saw earlier says, Huh? Gumdrops! Splattering the windshield! I can't see! And the Wizard of Light himself proclaims, Get out! Wipe them off! I'll take care of this King Candy! Then the caption for the next panel. Then, as the amazing Man of Sweets moves in for the capture... <laughs> Man of Sweets. Come on, where's your King Candy movie, Zack Snyder? You could call it Man of Sweets. <laughs> he could possibly turn up in Suicide Squad, who knows? Yeah, unbelievable. I wouldn't put it past James Gunn. <laughs> so, we see King Candy with the necklace safe in his hand. Something else in his other hand and he thinks, A taffy twist should tie them up in knots until the police arrive. Oh, my eyes! Yes, because the Wizard of Light has fired a, what must be some kind of light gun at him. It's a massive burst of light lighting up the whole situation and the wizard of light proclaims you can't hit what you can't see king candy that will teach you to toy with the wizard of light <laughs> we can see the foreground of the panel the guy in the green suit is carefully removing all of the candy splodges from the windscreen so that they can make their getaway minutes later when the candy master recovers his sight yep we see king candy still holding the necklace and he says they they made their getaway and Susie and ned are both there They've seen what's going on. And Susie says, But not with the valuable pearl necklace. Thanks to you, King Candy. You, you are simply divine. 
And then the next panel, she leans in and gives him a kiss. And King Candy blushes enormously as a giant smack sound effect. And King Candy is thinking, Sucker me gee, a, a kiss from Susie. If only she knew whom she was really kissing. Ned, who looks a bit non-fussed, it must be said. <laughs> Ned says, Come on, Susie, let's find Robbie. A slow dissolve in a caption for the final panel on page 12 says, Shortly, King Candy slips away from the crowd, dials H-E-R-O in reverse, and... He reverts back to Robbie Reed, of course, and Robbie is thinking, Nothing more I can do now. I'll join Susie and Ned. The gang's going to strike again this afternoon, and I'll have to find an opportunity to become another superhero. Gosh. Well, there's only four pages left. Listeners, I wonder who this other superhero could be. Those of you with long memories might remember who we <laughs> we alluded to at the start. Anyway, so, top of page 13 now, and the first caption says, Late that afternoon, the Wizard of Light steps from a car in the Valley City Business District, and... Valley City? I don't know about that before either. Hmm. Nope. We get a good close-up of the Wizard of Light here. A better look at his mask. He's a sort of yellow face mask, and it's obvious that him and his colleagues wear these goggles because of all the, the light-based shenanigans. It's obviously protect them. So this is a bit of an inset panel. And with a big grin, the Wizard of Light is firing his light gun, and he's thinking, Ha! In a moment, a fortune will be mine. All I have to do is pluck it from the air. <laughs> then the next panel shows what we saw in the, the splash panel. There's an armoured car and its guards and a few pedestrians and a mailbox and a car all floating up into the air. And the man in the green suit is saying, Your anti-gravity light is clicking, boss. Everything's going up, up, up. And a very happy wizard of light says, Including the armoured car. Our objective, Cullen. Stand by. In a few minutes, I'll liberate that vehicle from the air. And then we have a change of location and a caption that says, And minutes later, as Robbie listens to the radio in his cousin's playroom, we see Robbie looking at a magazine and the voice from the radio is saying, And the eerie light bathing the Valley City Business District is floating everything in the air. Robbie says, Eerie light? The wizard struck again. Got to get out of here. This is just what I've been waiting for. And then the caption for the next panel says, Dashing to a wooded area, Robbie whips the H-dial from his pocket, spins the decoded letters, and... And with a flash and a giant hero floating all, all around him, Robbie is suddenly Plastic Man, and he thinks... Huh? I've become Plastic Man, that famous crime-fighting hero of years ago. I can stretch and transform into a billion different shapes and things. Terrific. So, this is May the 19th, 1966. So when did Plastic Man last appear? He last appeared in a quality comic, because uh, right. that's who were the publishers of Plastic Man previously. This is his first DC Comics appearance, mm -hmm. and that was in Plastic Man issue 52, in a story called The Indestructible Wizard. That was covered dated February 1955, but on sale on the 28th of October 1954. 28th of October? Yes. My, it would have been my dad's 14th birthday. <laughs> there you are. That's, that's, that's a nice <laughs> little bit of trivia. Now, we should probably say at this point, before we go any further, are we assuming that Robbie Reed is on Earth 1? Yes, it's established later on that he's in Earth 1. Yeah, as Pete hinted at, we'll come back to further sort of developments of Dial H beyond this. So, Robbie is familiar with Plastic Man. Yes. Is it that Robbie is familiar with Plastic Man, or is it because Robbie instantly knows everything about whichever hero he turns into? Now, it could be a combination of the things. The fact mm. that he says that famous crime-fighting hero of years ago... Yes. It's the same situation we had with the Crimson Avenger where the, the Silver Age Crimson Avenger refers back to a previous hero called the Crimson Avenger, mm -hmm. is referring back to a character in a comic who was a hero, 
I was referring back to an actual hero that he saw. Yeah. And this mm-hmm. is the same case. It's not firmly confirmed either way in this. Yeah. Just that famous crime-fighting hero of years ago could be famous because he had a very popular comic, uh-huh. or could be famous because he was actually a hero. Yeah, on the same earth that Robbie's on. So Yes. So you can conjecture at the moment then that this either says Plastic Man was a hero on Earth 1, mm-hmm. Or there was a plastic man on another earth whose adventures were published in comics, and that's what Robbie was reading about. Robbie, Robbie was yes. reading about, if you pardon the pun. Very interesting. <laughs> we'll see what happens with all of that as we go on. So, the final panel of page 13. Plastic man is springing into action. He's grabbing hold of a couple of handy tree trunks, and he's pulling back, and he's thinking, Got to get to Valley City fast, and I know just the way. And then at the top of page 14, with a giant twang, he springs forward and he thinks, I'll slingshot myself there as only Plastic Man can. Terrific. So, the next panel, the caption says, Seconds later, as the blur of Plastic Man's costume streaks through the sky over Valley City. And we see Plas zooming in from stage right, and the armoured car is still floating in the air. A couple of pedestrians who were caught in the field. There's another car, and we can see the golden blur of the wizard's anti-gravity field. And as he bounds into view, Plastic Man is thinking, The wizard's light has created an anti-gravity field to float everything in the area, but he's playing a beam on the armoured car, bringing it down to Earth. That's what they're after, and I'm going to put the whammy on their plan if I can plummet through this anti-gravity field. We've moved to the bottom of page 14 now, and we can see Plas coming into contact with the golden glow of the anti-gravity field. And indeed, the caption of the next panel. Then, as the anti-gravity field grips Plastic Man's body... He's managed to force his hands through the anti-gravity field. We can see them bursting through, and he's thinking... I'm slowing down to a stop, but my momentum is carrying my arms forward towards the ground. Terrific. And then in the final panel of page 14, we see Plas's now giant enormous hands. They were starting to stretch in the previous panel. They're now enormous. And he grabs the Wizard of Light... And one of his colleagues, but in the background, we can see Cullen, the guy in the green suit, making a break for it. And Plastic Man says, That just slaps some sense into you, punks. Very kinetic, as they just as he snaps them together. To page 15, the caption says, But then... And there's quite a lot going on in this panel. We see that Plastic Man's hands have shrunk back down to normal, and he's had to release the Wizard of Light and his associate. The Wizard of Light is rushing off, but the associate is sort of floating up into the air. Plastic Man thinks, Oh no, I'm being pulled back up. Hey, that's odd. They both lost their protective goggles, but only that henchman is floating upward. And in a close-up, Plas thinks, The wizard seems immune to the anti-gravity light. Immune. Hmm. Things are beginning to add up. I know who the wizard is now, and I'll nail him as soon as I'm free of this anti-gravity trap. The caption for the next panel says, The bizarre light gradually dims until finally... And we see the mailbox and a couple of pedestrians in the orange car that were all previously affected by the, the gravity field all coming down to the ground. And there's a very gallant policeman who's assisting the lady who's falling to the ground. And the policeman has clocked Plastic Man. And the policeman says, Hey, Plastic Man, what are you doing? And Plastic Man says, Making like a ball, officer, to bounce my way to the gang's hideout. So long. Yeah, we can see Plastic Man... His arms sort of shrink into his body as he starts to swell up into a giant ball. Terrific. Just like Bouncing Boy of the Legion of Superheroes. <laughs> yes, very much so. Yeah. So what we need is a team-up between Plastic Man and the entire Legion and <laughs> everyone else that Robbie turned into ever. Yeah. So, the caption for the next panel. Shortly. And we're outside what's presumably the headquarters of the Wizard of Light and his mates. And we see Colin, the guy in the green suit. He's taking his goggles off finally. And Plastic Man is bouncing towards him. And Colin says... Yipes! It's Plastic Man! He's somehow found us! Plastic Man is thinking, The wizard's other chum has spotted me. 
going for his gun. Gotta bust up that little act fast. In the caption for the next panel, The man of a million forms suddenly makes a startling change and... Plastic Man has stretched out his left hand to enormous size and he's punching out Cullen. We see the gun flying and Plastic Man thinks, That puts you down for the long count. Now to find your boss, Dr. Drago. <gasps> Gasp. We reach the top of page 16. The first caption says, Then as Plastic Man spots the wizard. And we see some very familiar looking pink clouds of gas. Very similar to the ones that caused Giant Boy so much trouble earlier on. And we can see the Wizard of Light. And he says, This is the same deadly gas that finished off Giant Boy. One whiff and you're finished, Plastic Man. Plastic Man is thinking, He's right. The gas nearly killed me as Giant Boy. And then the caption for the next panel. Suddenly. And Plastic Man has used the stretching ability. He stretched his arms round and through the clouds. And he stretched his neck up so he can bring his head in over the clouds of gas. So that he won't have to breathe them in. And he grabs the wizard in his hands. And Plastic Man says. You forget. I don't have to stick my snoot in the gas to put the finger on you, Drago. And the wizard replies. You know my identity. But how? And in the next panel. We see that Plastic Man has got the wizard. Or is it Dr. Drago? All coiled up now in his right arm. And Plastic Man says, When I saw the wizard was immune to the anti-gravity light without those goggles, I recalled Dr. Drago's miraculous escape and realized he must have been immune to the gas fumes that finished Giant Boy. So I put two and two together. And as the wizard's hat falls off, revealing him now that we can clearly see that it's Dr. Drago from earlier on, he says, And it added up to me. Huh. Slow dissolve. The caption for the final panel says, Later, after turning the criminals over to the police and dialing back to normal, Robbie Reed returns to his cousin's house, where... And we see Ned and Susie watching television. We can see Dr. Drago being carted off by some policemen on the screen. And Susie turns and says to Robbie, who's arriving, You missed all the excitement, Robbie. Plastic Man captured the wizard. Don't you wish you could become a superhero when you grow up? Robbie says, I don't know, Susie. It could be pretty dangerous. And there's a final caption that says, Dial in next issue for a new crop of superheroes. The, the end. end. Awesome. Yes, I think Robbie's right, Susie. It could be pretty dangerous. You could die like Giant Boy did from poison gas and drowning. I love that. That was so <laughs> much fun. That was, yeah, it was ace. Poor Giant Boy. I'm gutted, man. Yep. That's amazing. That's so dark that, you know, I mean, this is obviously, and this is not meant to its detriment, this is obviously targeted at quite a youthful reading audience because it's that whole wish yeah. fulfillment thing of, it's very, I mean, it's, let's be honest, it's very like the original Captain Marvel. Yes. By some sort of method, a child turns into a, an adult superhero. Imagine there'd been an issue of Wiz Comics where Billy, in the form of Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel hit by poison gas and then said Shazam and turned back into Billy yep. to get away. You know, that's quite dark. Very dark. Suck him a G. A moment of silence for Giant Boy. We hardly knew you. That's enough. So, you're right. I really enjoyed that too. It was great fun. Let's talk a bit more about the story then, I suppose. Absolutely, yes. This is probably one of the few occasions you'll see a Pearl Nicholson comics that doesn't involve a dead Martha Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's that's an excellent point. Yeah, you're right. I really want to read some more Dial H for Heroes. I wonder if, I'm sure there's at least one reprinted in a in a 52-page giant or a 100-page or somewhere. I've got the showcase. I'll give you that. Yeah, I wonder, well, that'd be kind of you. With a slight wink to camera, I, I hope we can 
we can maybe do another Dial H for Hero story at some point fairly soon. <laughs> I wonder if, if any goals will fall within our purview. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Let's see. Mm. Anyway, so yeah, let's let's have a look back at, at the story then because this yeah. was this was just basically great fun. I love the fact that all these one-off heroes are actually being tracked by cousin Ned. Yes, as basically being a fanboy. He's got all these posters. I don't know where they get the photos from. I don't know if, if Robbie's been posing for publicity shots after he, he solves crimes. They could be drawings. Could be, yeah. Could be. It's cool that Ned and Susie are kind of they're, they're into these other superheroes and they're sort of they're fascinated by them. Yeah. It kind of ties in with, with the whole question of which Earth it's on and which Earth Plastic Man was on because obviously the policeman yes. obviously recognised Plastic Man and Colin the bad guy recognised Plastic Man. Yeah. Obviously Giant Boy was recognised as well and named as yeah. Giant Boy, but he'd already appeared. That's that's right, of course. The fact that a couple of other people recognised Plastic Man, I think maybe gives a bit more weight to the the suggestion that maybe Plastic Man was on this Earth. Could be. Because they, they respond to him very naturally. They don't respond saying, Plastic Man, that obscure comic book character from years ago, come to life. Mm-hmm. They behave as if they know who he is and recognise him yes. how he operates. If we're taking that Robbie is on Earth 1, uh-huh. this maybe suggests that there was an Earth 1 Plastic Man or all of Plastic Man's adventures took place on Earth 1. It's very interesting. I wonder if there will be a lot of confusion about such things as we go forward. We'll see. We'll, we'll try and untangle that as we go. Mm-hmm. I've just looked back at the King Candy appearance because this is his only appearance. He's not uh, been character before and Uh he doesn't introduce himself as King Candy he's got nothing on him that says King Candy but both the wizards and Susie call him King Candy interesting so I wonder if there's some kind of psychic field or something that is projected as part of the transformation so people instantly know who this character is yeah that's one of the conceits I always liked about the dialect for hero is Robbie would turn into these characters and instantly know their name and what they could do yeah there was no like messing around with it yeah that's I like that too yeah I wonder if there was an off-panel sequence where King Candy introduced himself to Susie, but you're right. I mean, the way that the wizard seems to know who he is straight away is yeah. quite alarming because he, King Candy only thinks his name. He doesn't say it out loud. It's not like they're really stuck to the King Candy name because they also refer to him as the Man of Sweets and the Candy Master. Yes. Either of which could have been used. <laughs> I think they're terrific. I really do. The Man of Sweets sounds like someone who should be locked up and like banned from going anywhere near a school. Uh, <laughs> Very much so. Candymaster actually sounds like someone that should be in the Suicide Squad. <laughs> yeah, he sounds like a one-off Flash villain or a one-off Batman villain or something, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. He sounds a bit like the Bouncer. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. We're going to look now at the, the contemporary reader reaction. Um, this is from issue 163 of House of Mystery. And I've got to say, I think it's terrific. The, the name of the Dial H letters page is Dial L for Letters. Awesome. Absolutely perfect. <laughs> I love it. You know, sometimes these things just write themselves. Yeah, it's so good. At this time, House of Mystery, as well as Dial H for Hero, also had a Martian Manhunter feature in it as well. Of course, that's so right. So we won't refer to we won't refer to the Martian Manhunter letters, just the Dial H for Hero letters. Of course. I must say, though, it's interesting that in the first letter there, they refer to the Martian Manhunter as just Manhunter. Yes. Because habitually, I think, as we got older, we all co- we just referred to him as Jean. Mm-hmm. I think Martian Manhunter sort of developed because in the olden days, he was really often called the Manhunter from Mars. And I wonder if that, that's obviously what they're referring to. Anyway, yes, so... So we'll kick off with the second letter. Alex says, Dear Editor, my name is Cyclops and I live on the planet Wham, nine light years away from the Earth. Oh my goodness. I'm not writing to you to praise you on your Dial H for Hero stories. Nor am I writing you to compliment you on your character, Robbie Reed, the artwork, or the heroes he becomes. To provide nothing more than an interesting letter for your column by letting you in on something. 
Such is the purpose of my letter. I have a theory I'd like you to know about. It's about the power dial that Robbie has. My theory is that every time Robbie dials into a superhero, then a hero from another planet is teleported to Earth to take Robbie's place. Ooh! Meanwhile, Robbie's body becomes antimatter and remains more or less in the same area that the hero occupies. This explains why Robbie has the knowledge of both Robbie and the superhero he becomes. This gives something for you to think about, doesn't it? Cyclops. And that's a letter from Cyclops, who apparently is also known as Dennis Rule from Niagara Falls. Cyclops? I thought Cyclops' real name was Scott Summers. You would think. Cyclops of the X-Men right into House of Mystery. That's interesting. What's this? Cyclops from Planet One. So. <laughs> yeah. And the editorial response to this letter is, A real cool theory, but there's one thing wrong with it. When antimatter meets matter, you get a terrific explosion. So if Robbie were to exist as antimatter in the same area as the superhero, bye-bye to Robbie and superhero. And that's from the editor. Okay, well, it's an interesting idea. Are these, are these superheroes that Robbie turns into? Are they characters from parallel Earths that he's beaming into place? I don't know. It is something that is further explored in the later Dynamics ah, series. interesting. Uh, where, where these other actual characters come from. Okay. And I don't want to say that Cyclops has hit the nail on the head, but he's really close. Okay. Really close, considering that's what, about the fourth or fifth yeah. H-Dial story we've had. Uh-huh. This is a contemporary letter from the time, and uh, something that's picked on about 30 years later, it's uh, in fact longer. Interesting. Yeah, he's incredibly close with what we find out later on. And the next letter we're going to do goes, Dear Editor, a new old hero, and an old new hero, and a new new hero, and I think I'm getting dizzy. The Wizard of Light had enough action to make anyone's head spin, and mine certainly was one of the spinners. The best thing about Robbie Reed is the unquestionable fact that he is a kid, and not one of those strictly under control types either. He is smart, very smart, and he never wastes his time worrying about secret identities or police commissioners. As we all know, <laughs> it pays off. He's the most successful freelance superhero I've ever heard of, and there's no adult mentor to steal the limelight, no real complications to his life that make being a superhero a series of embarrassing quick changes in the telephone booths. I like the Manhunter's new identity, but I hope this does not mean end of Zook. He's too cute for oblivion now. That obviously is completely irrelevant um, to what we're talking about. But that's another letter from Peter's favourite. Irene Vartanoff. Yep. Yes, future comic uh, colourist, comic pro, Irene Vartanoff, who we've read about 80 letters out from recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The editorial response just concerns um, Zook, which we're obviously not talking about the Martian Manhunter series, so not to worry. But um, yeah, it's a bit of positivity from... Myrene towards Dial H. So, the next letter goes something like this. Dear Editor, I enjoyed The Return of Giant Boy. It was nice to see an old friend and face appearing among the myriad of new ones. King Candy was a bit on the ridiculous side, but was still novel and refreshing. I was pleased to see Plastic Man return and hope to see Robbie change to him again soon. And then the rest of the letter uh, makes a comparison between the Martian Manhunter story and Plastic Man and uh, how he's got a, a... Covert identity as a bad guy. So yes, interesting. Interesting. That's from Robert Kowalski from Detroit, Michigan. That's the end of the contemporary reader response. But you know, we're going to go on for a little bit longer because um, obviously one of the things we like talking about in the podcast is legacy. Yes. And Dial H for Hero is a Silver Age concept. So we're tweaking the rules a little bit because it's one of Peter's favourites. So Pete, give us a little bit more then about House of Mystery and Robbie Reed and all that because it ran up to issue 173 of House of Mystery, the Dial H for Hero story, didn't it? It did indeed. And they were all written by Dave Woods. 
who doesn't have a huge amount of writing credits, but okay. the art was by Jim Mooney. And he must have had a ball doing these uh, because, you know, it's every single issue, uh, Robbie changed into three different characters and just to design such bizarre concepts as King Gandhi uh, yes. must have been an absolute riot and a lot of fun to be had. We saw that Giant Boy had appeared earlier on. Was there, Did they ever repeat themselves in the original run? Uh, that's pretty much the only time, really, I believe. Right. So it's, Oh, wow. So for a whole 17, 18 issues and then three new superheroes every every issue, that's tremendous. Yep, that's the only time he does that. Which is good, because if Giant Boy came back, would he be dead? Who knows? Oh, no. Imagine, can you imagine? Robbie dials H for hero and then Giant Boy's corpse appears and everything <laughs> goes wrong because what use is a giant dead man to this bit of peril? The end. I know. So, obviously, you know, that's, that's us covered issue... 116. Pete's toes have given us a bit more detail, but we're going to stretch it a little bit today because we're all about legacy here. And Dial H for Hero is one of Peter's favourite concepts. Mm-hmm. House of Mystery 173 was not the end of Dial H for Hero, or indeed Robbie, was it, Peter? No, not at all. The concept came back in the early 80s. There was a preview and a special insert inside Legion of Superheroes issue 272, covered mm-hmm. in February 81. Right. That basically introduced a new generation of characters. You had teenagers Chris King and Vicky Grant, who found two brand new H-dials. Not like Robbie Reed's that had the ten actual dial inserts. These just had four that spelt H-E-R-O. They actually had the letters on them. Right. So they came across these and found out that when they dialed Hero, they became... Heroes, random heroes, which is great fun. Did they ever meet Robbie Reed? Yes, that's part of the storyline. It's quite interesting how their story goes along because basically this was originally set up as almost a competition for readers. Yes. Uh Because people were encouraged to write in with their own character designs and concepts Mm -hmm. and your heroes would be in the stories. Yeah. It was Marv Wolfman who came up with the concept and Carmen Infantino was was the main artist on it, although other people did that as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Don Heck did a few issues and things, but it was mostly Carmen Infantino. And basically, you would write in with your own character design and they picked them randomly out of a box. Oh, really? Yeah, one for Chris, one for Vicky. That's outstanding. Yeah, basically, they would start writing a story Mm -hmm. uh, and then they would literally pick out random characters and then Marv would figure out how that character would deal with the situation. Right. That's the legend. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Interesting. But that is, <laughs> that is uh, what I've seen reported. I have a full set of the, the adventure comics later ones yes. for Dial H for Hero. I, I mean, I picked them up mm-hmm. when I was working in Stateside Comics in the 90s. I've had mm-hmm. them for a long time. And I've never read them, which is shameful. <gasps> oh, they're glorious. I know. Well, see, that's what, see, that's what I'm saying. Because now that we've done this, I'm a little bit intrigued. Uh-huh. I think I'm going to dig them out and have a look at them. I mean, obviously, we're going to put quite a lot of the, the covers from the later Dial H series, we're going to put them all up on Facebook and Instagram and all that to give our listeners some more content. One thing I must say though is that, um, and Peter was appalled when I said this when we were preparing this episode, that I find there's a bit of a disconnect between the beautiful George Perez covers for these later adventure comics issues. And of course it it ended up actually going over into the new adventures of Superboy as a backup strip once adventures went to digest size. The disconnect between what George Perez was doing in the cover and later era what Carmine Infantino was doing in the interiors <laughs> really, really upsets me. I'm not a fan of late era Carmine. It must be said. Sorry, well, Carmine. I disagree on if that. You're, if you're right. listening. <laughs> <laughs> I like Chunky Infantino, as I used to call him back, yes. the, back then, yeah. when, his, when his character design changed. He was basically just trying to get a story out quickly. Yeah, I mean, he's, I mean he could do it in his sleep, probably by that point. Yeah. So we don't want we don't want to spoil the story too much, but does Rob, Robbie pops up then in the adventure comics issues? Does he not in the adventure comics issues, but then in the Superboy run, Robbie comes back. 
all right, okay, see no more so I can read them. But I'm right in thinking that Robbie himself does pop up again before the Adventure Comic Series, is that right? He does pop up, not in a Dial H strip, but he does actually appear in something else, which we will discuss later on in the yeah. podcast. I'm not going to spoil it for people. We're not going to tell you what it is, listeners, so stay tuned if, you know, if you're a Robbie Reed fan, but we'll get back to him eventually. So, yep. there's something else you wanted to say about the Adventure Comic Series. Yeah, one of my favourite things was if you were one of the lucky people who got randomly chosen to have your character in it, not only did you have the joy of seeing your character appear in the story, with your name credited to mm-hmm. it, it would be Zeep the Living Sponge created by uh, Sarah <laughs> Smith from Brighton, I don't know. You know. <laughs> or Starman created by Peter Watson of Clyde Bank. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's could have possibly summed up, but that was a fantastic moment. That's yeah. Yeah, did you did you ever submit anything yourself then to Dial H for Hero? Not to Dial H for Hero, no. Were you were you not reading it when it was coming out? I was, but it was in the states. It was far away. You know, I wasn't going to send something in. Right. I was just wondering if it, if the if the thought ever crossed your mind. Yeah, but luckily, if you were chosen at random and your character appeared in, not only did you get to see your name and your character come to life on the page, you also got. A t-shirt oh. sent to you that said, I dialed H for Hero. Amazing. Oh, wow. And these t-shirts were only ever made for the people who created these characters. So there are very, very few of them in the world today. Wow. I wonder what the design was like. I wonder if someone could, some enterprising individual could go in Redbubble and make some facsimiles so that we could get one each for publicity purposes. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. I dialed E for Earth too. Amazing. Yes, yeah, so... So Chris King and Vicky Grant, as you said, uh-huh. uh, then went into uh, the backup stories in New Adventures Superboy. And then later on, they, they guested in Teen Titans and kind of the storyline kind of wrapped up in Teen Titans. I see. So. Interesting. Did you have any particular favourite heroes from the, the Adventure Comics run? Oh, as I, as I mentioned, Zeke the Living Sponge was a classic. Oh, right. Was that a real one? Okay, right. Oh, I thought it was just something you pulled out your head. No. Right. Okay. Interesting. No, no, that's one. And it, it's actually been used again. Mark Wade, in a story in Justice League Quarterly number eight, right. had Zeke the Living Sponge appear in a recruitment storyline for the superhero team, the Conglomerates, ah. and he was rejected. I don't think there are any rights issues involved there, because obviously the creator might not have been told. <laughs> it was a one-panel cameo. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's an interesting thing, though, because presumably there must have been some sort of disclaimer for all the kids who wrote in that yeah. they were signing off that their design would be used, they would get credit, and that would be it, that they would not be... Any royalties or anything like that coming? That's very interesting. If I can find it, I'll actually post uh, an image of the application form for it. Right. Because there was a disclaimer thing uh, you okay. would sign with it, and it did have all that. But these stories haven't been reprinted, so ah, uh, that could be a factor that could, involved yeah, in that. Yeah, probably is. I neglected to say there's also a DC Comics Presents team-up as well with Superman. Mm-hmm. And the Dial H characters, where Chris looked at his dial and thought, what else can I dial here? And he dialed horror uh, instead of hero. Ooh. And hilarity ensued. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> interesting. What left? Yeah, well, how many words can you make from those four letters? So as you say, the Chris and Vicky story was wound up in Teen Titans, but that was not it because there have been several other series since mm-hmm. that have made use of the concept. There was a series called Superboy and the Ravers, which launched in July 1996, featuring mm-hmm. the character you know Cornell, who came to be known as Cornell. He wasn't quite yet by that point, and there was a character in that team called Hero Cruz, who in issue five got hold of an H dial and rather surprisingly Vicky from the previous series pops up in issue 13 to try and get the dial back which is very interesting Superboy and the Ravers only lasted 19 issues it's a lot of fun it's fairly cheap if you can turn up it's worth a look yep but the next time that we saw anything to do with Dial H for Hero was in 2000 in the Silver Age event which was one of these fifth week events 
that uh, used to happen from time to time in DC where they'd put out a series of specials. And in the good old days. In the good old days. This was a series of kind of flashback stories almost mm. to the old Silver Age style. The interesting thing that took place during that event was Robbie teamed up with the Martian Manhunter, didn't he? Yes, uh-huh. Which was quite nice, getting the two House of Mystery characters together. I think it was the 80-page giant that wound it all up. Yep, that's right, uh-huh. And Robbie gave the H-Dial to, to the Justice League and they all used it and they all turned into different characters. Like, um, Tremendous. Superman became Doc Fission, Batman was Minuteman, Flash was Marionette, the Atom was Modman. Black Canary became Miss Fortune, which is a great name. Uh, Aquaman was Terra Firma. Uh, Green Arrow was Poltergeist. And yeah. Martian Manhunter became Gogo, which is perfect because obviously the Gogo checks was the era. So I love that so much. Yeah, I really I really enjoyed that event. One, one of the other aspects about it I liked was um, it took a bunch of Silver Age characters and, and gave us another Seven Soldiers of Victory. Yes. Yeah, we've talked about the Seven Soldiers very briefly before we talked about the Crimson Avenger, but we will talk about them again. After that, there was the, the series Hero, spelled H-E-R-O, just so it's in capital letters. And that was launched in February 2003. And I have to say, that was a series that I really enjoyed. I read that at the time. I was a big fan of that one. Did you like that one yourself? This is probably one of the strongest comic runs I've ever read. I'll mm. be honest. It's so weird because uh, the concept with this is people find an H-style. It's the old Robbie Reed-style one. Mm-hmm. And they use it. They turn into Hero. Uh, things happen, they lose the dial and basically someone else finds it and it kind of follows the progression of this and you yeah. think it's all just a series of one-shot comics but it's not, it's genius uh, it's written by Will Pfeiffer and the majority of the art I think was by Kano I think Leonard Kirk did some work in it as well Okay. and you'd realise by the time you get towards the end Robbie Reed turns up in it mm-hmm. and everything is absolutely interconnected over the 22 issue period and it's phenomenal. Robbie's an adult when he pops up in it, isn't he? Yes, he is. Uh-huh. He's a really, really interesting character. One of the people that gets the deal is quite an amusing story about a guy who sort of turns into a ridiculously well-proportioned sort of female superhero and he has to deal with that. It's, it was really good. Um, I remember reading it at the time I think, and really, really, really enjoying it. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was great. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of good stuff going on from DC, sort of late 90s, early 2000s. A lot of series that probably deserved to run a bit longer and probably deserved a bit more attention. There was stuff like there was stuff like Hero, there was stuff like Stars and Stripe, Kronos. Mm-hmm. Our Man. Yeah, of course. What's the other one that starts with a C? Chase. Chase is the one I was thinking of, Monolith, mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. And it's it was always a sort of source of frustration that DC were putting out really good stuff, but nobody was buying it. Yeah. Really? Sadly, there, there was one collection of Hero, and that's just like the first story arc. But that's like nothing compared to like the overall work. But the back issues are really cheap. It's really hard to find them on eBay because obviously it's H dot E dot R dot O dot. And if you just key in Hero, you get thousands of things. But if you can seek them out and find it, get the entire series and just yeah. read it in one bulk because it is phenomenal. We'd both recommend that one unreservedly. We'll put some covers yeah. of that one as well, obviously, up on the various social yes. media so you can have a look. The next series to use the concept happened during DC's controversial New 52 period um, and it was quite yes. something it's called Dial H it started in May 2012 and ran for 15 issues with some gorgeous covers by Brian Bolland really quite evocative of his some of his Animal Man stuff yes absolutely the covers are excellent yeah I must admit I haven't read the series but you're, I know that you're not a big fan of it it's written by author China Mayville and it reads very much like established author's first comic attempt right it's almost like someone who's writing to try and be Grant Morrison okay. without really knowing how comics work properly. There's a lot of good things in it, and that works really nice as well. It's from Matthias Santaluco, and it is really interesting. There are some interesting concepts in it, but overall, it really just didn't excite me, I'll be honest. Right. And I'm a huge mark for Dial H. I just felt it's kind of sub-Grant Morrison. 
mm-hmm. it didn't feel hugely original. It felt as if it's yeah. trying too hard. Whereas Will Pfeiffer's hero was phenomenal it, mm-hmm. because it's so understated and it mm-hmm. really sucked you in. It was like the event 52, the weekly DC event. It's very similar to that, uh, Will Pfeiffer's hero. And, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a slow burn. Yeah. And then suddenly everything clicks and it's the first thing you read each time you get it because you're obsessed with getting it. Of course. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember it very well. I really enjoyed it. The the Dial H one, I mean, I, I acquired a full set recently. Mm-hmm. And I mean recently, I don't mean in the David and Peter sense of recently meaning at any point <laughs> since 1997. I've got them fairly cheaply, so I'm going to I'm gonna take a look at it. But the thing that sort of strikes me from what you're saying is Dial H for hero is cu- such a straightforward, simple, fun concept. Yeah. And it just sounds like whoever was writing this just completely missed the point. That's a shame. Yeah. And then the most recent one, of course, is part of DC's recent Wonder Comics initiative. There was a series yes. which launched in, in 2019 mm-hmm. and ran for 12 issues. I have them all. I've I read the first couple. Yes. I will get back to the rest. Were you a fan of the Wonder Comics series? This series is absolutely brilliant. It's written by Sam Humphreys. Joe Canonis is the artist on it. And he's having a ball. Because basically, in this series, the character Miguel, who is the one who has the H-style, Every time he dials H for Hero, he turns into a very familiar style of comic character. For example, the first character he turns into is a character called Monster Truck. And from that name, it sounds like some naff image thing from the early 90s. (laughs) And he's drawn like some naff image thing from the early 90s. Ridiculously sized. Brilliant. There's other times he's dialed H and he's turned into basically a manga character and the whole style changes. He's turned into like a Sin City style character and the whole style changes every time. So you, so you mean like the, the, the whole style of the way the story's told? Yeah, and right. the artwork, the, right. the style of the character, okay. everything, it's just, everything becomes like the Monster Truck one, everything becomes extreme. Right. You know, it is just so ramped up to 18, not even 11, 18, you know, it's... Awesome. I think I'm going to end up having a, a fairly intense Dial H for Hero reading experience off the back of this this chat today. I can imagine, I've already dug out the adventure comics, prepped a few covers for some of the other ones to use on Facebook and Instagram, so I think I'm going to dig out yeah. some more. Awesome. The new 52 series is collected and the the latest series is collected as well in two trades. And I strongly recommend the latest series because it is just ridiculously good and it ties into the entire history of Dial H as well. Okay, right, cool. And as you said earlier on, there is a DC Comics Showcase Presents edition collecting all of the the Robbie Reed House of Mystery stories. Mm -hmm. You can track one of those down. Yeah. We might do another House of Mystery Robbie Reed story. Might do, might do. We might not. You'll have to wait and see. Stay tuned. So what did you think of Dial H? Did you enjoy that story? Did you enjoy The Return of Plastic Man? Uh, Did you enjoy King Candy and his candy canes and his licorice lariats? Did you feel sorry for Giant Boy? Did you shed a tear at his passing? Let us know, yes. What are your thoughts on Giant Boy? Is he dead? Is he dead? Is he a different character? Is it just Rob? Who knows? Tell us your thoughts. You can email us (laughs) at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. We'll be putting up some select highlights from this and lots of other bonus material on our Facebook page. And that's at the Earth 2 Podcast. And we're also the same handle on Instagram. Again, lots of bonus material goes up there as it does on Twitter. But on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore Earth 2. We certainly are. So, yeah, please get in touch. Let us know what you're thinking. If you can rate and review us in any of your podcast listening apps, that would be very useful as well. This has been a really good episode. I've really enjoyed doing this. Dial H is one of my favourite concepts, as I've said. Yeah. It's just ridiculous fun. So many great ideas. You can mm. do anything with it. It's pure comic books, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, dial O-R-E-H and you turn mm-hmm. back and then it's brand new, fresh slates out again to be another character and it's ridiculously fun. It'd make a really good TV show if someone had the imagination and the budget to do it, I suppose. You could have stunt casting for the heroes. Well, exactly. That would be incredible. Yeah. Can you imagine? 
there could be an episode where he turns into Brandon Routh's Superman or mm-hmm. <laughs> or Burt Ward's Robin. Who could say? <laughs> <laughs> Anything's possible these days. Yep. Well, I've been David Steele. And Sucker McGee. I've been Peter Watson. And you've been listening to... The Earth 2 Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinate set for Earth Prime. Amongst the clouds of pink smoke that are all billowing over... Uh, among the clouds... Among the crowd... <laughs> and we see Dr. Drago crouching on the floor amongst all the... Uh, oh, that's, that's wrong as well. Try that again. <laughs>